This morning we light the joy candle in anticipation of the coming of Jesus. And uh, we live into the tension a little bit that for most of us in this room, we know the story, right? And one of the things the candles does for us is it helps remind us that we actually relive the story every single year, this anticipation. Interesting that um, Advent is the beginning of the church calendar. So when we start Advent, either at the end of December, at the end of um, November or the beginning of December. This is really the new year for the church as we anticipate the coming of Jesus. And just like Easter and Good Friday and the Lenten season, we are reliving, feeling in our bodies, in our minds, in our emotions, this great story. And so some of us have been at this for a while, and this is the beauty of the church. It's not coming and bringing anything new. It's actually going back to our ancient roots and reminding us of what we enter into. Jesus coming to us, God coming to us in the form of a human, coming to our story. Um, not leaving us at a distance or far, but coming to us. And this is what joy embodies. Um, as you probably know, oh, first of all, one announcement. Next week, our, our um, uh, Christmas Eve gathering is going to be here at 10 a.m. in the morning, so we hope you can join us next week, a week from today at 10 a.m. for Christmas Eve. We're going to have a great morning together. There's going to be something for the kiddos, something for the entire family, uh, some special things as part of that morning, so we hope you can be with us and you and your family can come for uh, next uh, Sunday at 10 a.m. I will say this. There's some muddiness between joy and happiness. What is this... What does this word mean, right? This is what we've been doing this fall, looking at words in the New Testament and ultimately excavating the true understanding of them. And we know we live in a culture that longs for happiness. We hear of this thing called the American dream and it kind of has bled into our own way of thinking. But what is biblical joy? What does joy mean throughout the scriptures? And like we've done the last few weeks, why not watch an animated video to explain this than me just kind of blab on? Somebody with me? No, this is like, you're just like really happy to be here. So what is joy? We're going to do two things, we're, or three things really. We're going we're gonna to frame what this means. What does this mean? We're going to read a key text uh, around joy as Paul instructs the early churches and the early church. And then we're going to take some time and just look at how do we in our moment cultivate joy as we learn more about it. First, what is joy? Love it. I love the emphasis there of it's a attitude that we adopt in the hope of God. And this is something that marked Israel's story. I don't know, I'm gonna throw you on the spot, Kev. Can you throw up uh, at the Psalm again, Psalm 126? This is such a pivotal Psalm, reflecting on Israel's own posture towards ultimately them holding on to hope of what God would do, right? When the Lord restored the fortress of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. The connection point for them, and I think this is where it's really important to distinguish between happiness and joy, is there was a connection point for them in the story of God. What God was doing in the world was their ultimate hope and the hope in which their joy was connected to. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for us. And so it poses for us in our moment the simple reality that it is not just about our circumstances in the present time that shape the type of posture we have towards joy. It is an attitude that's adopted 
in the hope that we have in God. And so this is why, um, and I know we've talked a lot about this in our church community, this is why when we talk about things like eschatology, which is like just a big word for how things are going to shape up in the end, it's actually really important. Like the reality that King Jesus is returning and bringing heaven back to earth and reestablishing his kingdom here on earth and his temple coming back together, heaven and earth together. This is a massive part of the story because this is deeply connected to the joy that we have. No matter what circumstance, whatever we're going through, how good or not good Christmas is going to be with family, right? Travel, gifts, disappointing loved ones with not doing very, a very good job with gifts. Can I get an amen, sister? I love you. All right right? No matter how good this, I'm just a terrible gift giver. Anybody, anybody in the room a terrible gift giver? Can we just have a, yes, thank you. There's a few of us. I'm like, we can just go shopping on Boxing Day or something. It's good. That doesn't work. It's interesting. No matter what we're going through, the pace we live into this Christmas, there's something bigger that overrides. It's an attitude of joy. Um, Eugene Peterson, the huge, huge, he puts it like this. He says, joy is not a requirement of Uh, Joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. It is a consequence, he says. It is not that we have to acquire in order to experience life in Christ. He would say it is what comes to us when we are walking in the way of faith and obedience. Love that. It's not a requirement. Joy is a consequence of being in the way of Jesus. He goes on, we try to get it, joy, through entertainment. We pay someone to make, uh, to make jokes, to tell stories, to perform dramatic actions, to sing songs. We buy the vitality of another's imagination to, to divert and enliven our own poor lives. The enormous entertainment industry in America is a sign of the depletion of joy in our culture. Society is bored, he says. Gluttonous king employing a court jester to divert it after an overindulgent meal. But that kind of joy never penetrates our lives, never changes our basic constitution. The effects are extremely temporary, a few quiet minutes, a few hours, a few days at most. When we run out of money, that joy trickles away. We cannot make ourselves joyful. Joy cannot be commanded, purchased, or arranged. But he doesn't stop there. He says this, but there is something that you and I can do. We can decide to live in response to the abundance of God and not under the dictatorship of our own poor needs. We can decide, we can decide, brothers and sisters, to live in the environment of a living God and not our own dying selves. We, we can decide to center ourselves in the God who generously gives and not in our own egos which greedily grab. One of the certain consequences of such a life is joy, the kind expressed in Psalm 126. You know, this wasn't just expressed in the people of old in Israel's story in the Old Testament. Paul, you know, we come to his letters a lot, and if you actually want to open with me to Philippians chapter 4, it's going to be our key text for this morning. If you know anything about Paul, Paul was an apostle, had an encounter with Jesus, and gave his life to starting small communities in the ancient Mesopotamian. He was a a church planter, he would go to a community, he'd often leave and leave somebody over that community, and he would write letters, 
which was obviously the means of communication in that day. And one of the things we know about Paul is he writes these letters from prison, and there's this letter called Philippians in our Bibles that was written to the church in Philippi, and he is chained in prison, and his, the, the, the very ethos of the letter is around joy. His language is deep in the reality of joy in the kingdom of God and what following Jesus does. And it's really upside down and, and helps show us as we even talk about joy at Advent, the reality that this is not tied to circumstances, that God's people throughout the ages have been in really gnarly situations and yet joy is something, not just at Advent, but joy is something that marks them, that there's a bigger kingdom at hand, there's a, a bigger story at play than just our little lives in the moment. This is what Paul says. Read with me Philippians 4, uh, verse 4. He says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, he says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think, think about these things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into, into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Command here to rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident. The Lord is near. And so... Obviously, the, the disconnection we feel in this uh, reality of joy is it is not tied to our circumstances and what's happening. Now, one of the questions I want to kind of come around this morning is then what does this mean for us in our daily lives? What does it mean to cultivate joy and kind of live a life that is living into joy? And I'm going to take a minute and just watch a short little segment of teaching and uh, in this teaching, um, the person presenting is going to talk about just three ways in which we can cultivate joy in our moment. I think we have the idea that it's bigger, it's separated from happiness. We see how it's worked in God's people throughout the ages. Now what does it mean for us? Three ways to cultivate, cultivate joy. So as we think about joy, brothers and sisters, uh, there's two things that I see kind of at the forefront. One is just... There's a bigger story at hand. And some of us just need, again, at Christmas time to be immersed in this, of the truth and the story and the reality of where we're headed, right? So what I love about King Jesus, obviously it's about him and at the center, but there's not a disconnect between Jesus the person and what God is doing in the world. You with me? Sometimes we want to focus on Jesus the person, and that's it, and that's wonderful, but Jesus is bringing a kingdom with him, and it does reshape our mind. It does reshape our thoughts. You know, the practice of gratitude, uh, you know, in the therapeutic world, there's tons now of evidence-based research that talk about how gratitude practices actually rewire our brains. And as I read through this peer-reviewed stuff, I just go, oh, I, know, I know the source of this, right? We know the source of this and, and how our brains and bodies work and the simple practices of gratitude and what they can do for our lives. 
imagine practicing every day, just living into the story of God and reminding ourselves we are headed towards a new earth. We are headed towards the renewal of everything. We are headed towards a world that is broken, that in its moment is broken and there is tears and injustice all around us, but that will be wiped away. That does something for us in our moment. And then the second thing would just be our proximity to the source, right? Just like we, in this teaching, so important. You know, as we talk about joy and the difference between joy and happiness or different types of emotion is oftentimes people ask, well, how do I get this kind of joy? And again, over and over, it's just the reality of how close are we to the source that gives joy. And so as we think about these things and as we light this candle as a reminder, we remind ourselves, again, of the story, and we remind ourselves that God has availed himself to us, right? He came to us. I know that's like, for most of us Sunday school kids, that's not like mind-blowing maybe for us anymore, but just the reality that God came to us. He tabernacled amongst us. He showed us what the presence of God is like, and now we live in that. We have the source of joy all around us. And so as you walk the aisle or the aisles or however you get to the bread and cup this morning, it's a reminder that we are immersed in God's presence. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that uh, we don't have to go to some tent or tabernacle or to some box anymore, but we come and we know that the presence of God resides in us. So immerse yourself in the story. That would be my prayer for our community, that we, we would, our minds would be shaped even around good theology. It's important, right, in how we think. So we talk about our thoughts a lot, but where do those thoughts come from? It comes from the story of God and what God's doing in the world. And maybe for us this morning, this, in the second point, just around proximity, maybe this morning is just a time where you get to reorient your life as we sing in a minute and celebrate and as we walk the aisle to communion, that you could reorient your life around the one who is the center of the story, the one who is the giver of joy. You with me? As we walk and as you take and you use your taste buds you flip this pack open and you take a sip and you take the bread and it hits your tongue, may it just be a reminder that God is present, God is, God is near. This is what Christmas is about, him coming to us. So what I want you to do, just for a moment, as the team comes, and actually, why don't you stand, actually, with us? And I just want you just to close your eyes, just for a moment. And just take a moment. And let's just ask ourselves as we just reflect on these two different areas. Just one, are we people? Are you a person that is immersed in the story? Are you reminded, are you reflecting on this great story? And then for others of us, just in this, just, just for a minute, just in the quietness of this moment, I just sense that some of us just need, and, and God is present, he's near, but, you know, as the temple, the body gets together, but there's a sense too, just for us as individuals, of just inviting God's presence close. God wants to come in, sometimes in our own resistance, 
We just need to open up our lives and say, come Holy Spirit. This little simple prayer of the church for generations, come Holy Spirit. And as the Spirit's work in our lives continues to move, that it, it wouldn't be something we try and attain, but as, as Eugene Peterson would say, it's actually a consequence of being close to the source is joy. So wherever you are, why don't you just take a moment, just say, come Holy Spirit. That's our prayer, God, come Holy Spirit. Fill us with your love, with your grace. Fill us with your presence. God, may this Christmas, this time, this this anticipation and moving towards Christmas and this reality of you coming, Jesus, may it draw us closer to you in everything we say, everything we do. That's my prayer, God. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. That's our prayer, Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the table is open. If you're just joining us, there's uh, little packs at the back that we take as part of our response and communion, and we're just going to sing. These guys are going to lead us as, uh, as we close, and just going to pray that God's presence would just work in us, and as we remember and take the bread and cup, it would also be a reminder of what God is doing, what he's creating, what he's taking us towards. A new heavens, a new earth, every tear wiped away, a place in which Jesus is preparing a table. This is the image we get, and so as we walk this this morning, why don't you just be reminded of that? Amen? Table is open.